Simplify your federal agency's technology procurement with Connection Public Sector Solutions. Connection's dedicated account managers, commitment to exceptional customer service, and extensive catalog of federal contracts make IT purchases quick, easy, and affordable. Turn your challenges into opportunities and get rid of your technology pain points with Connection today. Learn more about what's possible with Connection Public Sector Solutions at connection.com slash fedcontracts. You are listening to a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Good evening and welcome to the Mint edition of uh, Pivot and Perish. COVID-19 pandemic has presented a massive opportunity for uh, the fintech industry, both for the online and for the transaction industry. Globally, it's said that the transaction value for digital payments uh, is expected to be as high as $12.4 trillion uh, by 2025. And India is expected to contribute nearly 2.2%. So clearly, India is one of the fastest growing countries in the world uh, in terms of digital payments. And clearly, it is also attracting a lot of investments from private equity players, uh, uh, venture capital firms, and uh, other international payment firms. So in this edition of Leibman's Pivot or Perish series, we turn our focus to the fintech ecosystem and whether it's ready to support the economic revival of the nation in the new normal. My name is Gopika Gopakumar, and I have with me Romita Majumdar, who will be moderating this panel discussion along with me. So without any further ado, let me introduce our panelists for the evening. Uh, we have Samir Nigam, founder and CEO of PhonePay, Naveen Surya. Hi, uh, Samir. Naveen Surya, Chairman, Fintech Convergence Council and Chairman Emeritus, PCI. Hi, some, uh, hi uh, Naveen. Also, we have Srinivas Nidangadi, Senior VP and COO, uh, Mobile Financial Solutions at Comviva. Hi, Srinivas. Welcome to the show. We also have Shilpa Mankar Aluwalia, partner fintech from Shardul Amarchand Mangaldas. Hi, Shilpa. Uh, we have Harshil Mathur, CEO of Razorpay. Hi. And we have uh, Toby, of uh, Vice President and Head of Inno- Innovations and Customer Solutions at Asia Pacific Mastercard. Welcome, all of you, to the evening's uh, panel discussion. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to have all of you. So without further ado, let me uh, get started. Um, clearly, uh, we are all in a very uncertain and challenging situation. The pandemic has significantly changed the way in which consumers uh, and business uh, do payment. Uh, more number of users are now opting for contactless and mobile payment solutions. In fact, the data itself shows that the UPI transactions touched a record high in June. So how has COVID or the pandemic really impacted uh, the expansion of digital payment ecosystem in India? Uh, We saw that the demonetization was a trigger. COVID has just given the bigger boost for that. So let me start off with Samir. Uh, Samir, let me start off with you. What is that big impact that you're seeing in terms of the digital payment ecosystem? So I think uh, two quick parts to it. One was, like you mentioned, uh, demonetization and then COVID both have been uh, accelerants in terms of new users adopting digital payments for the first time. Uh, that started with the first lockdown. We saw 
very, very large spike in organic consumer adoption, uh, especially for categories like recharges or peer-to-peer -peer money transfer, because people were locked up at home for almost 40 days. Uh, people had no other means to actually pay for their recharges, their bills, their DDH. So that, that definitely uh, for the category was helpful. Overall, at an economy level, we saw a very, very clear V-shape. Uh, offline transactions, e-commerce transactions had come to near zero during the first uh, two months of the lockdown. But recovery, especially in uh, tier two and beyond, where COVID impact has not been as bad, uh, thank God, has been has been uh, better than expected. In fact, last month was, at least for us, our biggest month in the back of UBI group as well. Um, and we actually crossed now, we are on a 200 billion plus annualized TPV run rate. So we crossed a very large milestone. Um, and these numbers are about 30, 35% larger than where we were pre-COVID as, as recently as Feb of this year. So I think at an at a industry level, we have very little room to complain, to be honest. Uh, we are one of the few unscathed industries. But obviously, when I look at, when I look at uh, categories, e-commerce, taxi cabs, restaurants, I mean, there's carnage and, and I'm hoping that things get better from here. Yeah, well, let me turn to Harshil now. Harshil, I mean, from Razorpay, it's an online payment gateway provider. Razorpay claims to have a 35% monthly growth, growth rate. How has COVID impacted that uh, growth and your business plans? Yeah, well, thanks, uh, thanks for inviting me. I think, uh, of course, the first month of lockdown was uh, bad for everyone, including us, because everything was shut, including e-commerce, including even grocery, because supply chains was disrupted. Uh, but as Samir pointed out, there was a sharp V-shaped recovery, and especially, especially in online payments, the recovery was really rapid, because segments like e-commerce exceeded pre-COVID levels, uh, grocery exceeded pre-COVID levels, tech, bill payments, gaming, and a lot of other segments exceeded pre-COVID levels. And that's why, like, after the first one and a half month of lockdown, we saw uh, we were trending almost back to pre-COVID levels. And uh, after that, we've seen a strong recovery in certain segments, which has led to today we are at least 30 to 35% higher on a month-on-month -month basis compared to pre-COVID levels, uh, simply because of these certain segments which are booming a lot. Uh, and, one of the, and one of the indicators that are not, it's not just volumes happening higher, it's a lot of new customers coming online. Uh, one of the indicators of that is bill payments. Uh, bill payments right now are tracking at about 180, 190% compared to pre-COVID levels. And it's not that people are generating more bills, uh, but bill payment is generally one of the first things that people learn how to pay online. Uh, it, the transition always starts with learning how to pay bills online or buying tickets online. And then people learn how to do commerce online. And then they, people learn how to do gaming, stockbroking and other things. So bill payment is generally one of the first segments people learn when they uh, go through digitization. So a higher tracking on bill payments is generally a very positive indicator of digitization, which just shows that a new Chunk of population has come online, which will transact on other mediums like e-commerce, grocery, and everything else as well, uh, which is very exciting news for us. Great. So let me turn to Toby. I mean, phone pay and razor pay clearly are inching way ahead. Uh, how does it look for MasterCard? How are you adapting to this new normal? Clearly, credit card transactions have fallen, but how are you adapting to this new normal and this uncertainty? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we heard a couple of the kind of new normal already. Right. When we look at 
both the online transactions growing. I think that's definitely a trend we see, but we also see how we how consumers are modifying their in-store behavior now that they're kind of coming out of lockdowns across the region and including in India. And that's where we see trends like contactless growing uh, significantly as a preferred method of, of payment. And, and I think what we generally see is actually this kind of new, new behavior. I think people are just generally more open to trying new things that are digital. Uh, more touchless experiences are emerging. Merchants are experimenting with new ways of payment. Um, it's digitizing of menus. It's digitizing much more than just doing the payment. And so those kind of trends are really significant um, drivers, I think, of the future. And I think when, we, when I look back even at my own life, right, you kind of look at what, how long does it take to create a new habit? And actually the average is like 66 days. Um, it can last up to 254 days and I probably should have a bit better fitness ha habit at this stage. Um, but ultimately I think this is kind of a much longer duration that we probably ever seen in kind of this digitization where people really have repeated experiences. And that's when we see this repeated experience of contactless, repeated experiences on online transactions. We see that type of recovery. We see growth in those areas. And of course, things that are impacting right now are things like travel, hotels, food and restaurants, taxis. But I think we just need to look at ourselves, right? I think we're all itching to get out of our house. So these are not gonna be long-term impacts, right? People will want to come back to travel when it's safe again, when it's safe for their families and, and, and everyone around them. Um, they wanna interact, people are social, right? And so we will continue to see that recovery. So we're in a normalization stage right now, and we're gonna see kind of a road to recovery pretty quickly. And I think we will see many of these learned behaviors like e-commerce, contactless, stick with consumers as they come out of this recovery into this recovery phase mainly because it's become a habit, right? It's been seen to be more convenient and more impactful than the traditional way of doing things. Hmm. Like how Toby said, you know, clearly it has hit some of the major industries like um, hospitality, aviation, auto manufacturing. Uh, and this has in turn affected the digital payments as well, which are closely linked to these sectors. So did the pandemic really bring about any specific challenges that perhaps you weren't expecting earlier? Well, let me throw this question to Samir. Uh, sorry, could you could you repeat the last part of that question? Some challenges that pandemic threw up, which you weren't expecting and, uh, and then you had to uh, somehow cope up. So I think one... Uh, at an industry level, one of the things that, that happens anytime any kind of digital activity really surges is that the risk and fraud profiles sort of change. And I think one of the things that we are seeing in the market right now is digital payments uh, increase in risk and fraud activity and the regulator and the industry are working closely. Uh, so I think, I think a lot of new customers getting on uh, digital payments and therefore we have to make sure that we protect everyone. Um, and I think the second one was how difficult it is to service merchants who are getting back into the market uh, in terms of their acceptance, because a lot of stores particularly uh, have been shut for three or four months and migrant workers are coming back, the small shops, uh, they're trying to get their business back on, on the ground. And they're asking us how we can help them beyond just enablement of payments. And I think that's been a struggle because the industry is not been able to sort of play a very meaningful role in getting people's business off the ground yet again. 
and i think i think those are the two areas where we are focused on right now hmm that gives me a cue to go to shrinivas uh, shrinivas has had has a wide experience at that wide experience across industries like banks payments commerce in fact he set up the entire mobile banking payment system uh, at icici bank so shrinivas coming to you uh, you know you have dealt with uh, some of this uh, issues uh, in your various roles did you expect the, did the pandemic throw up any challenges that uh, perhaps was unexpected uh, earlier yeah i mean i think uh, more than challenges i would say because of the industry of uh, uh, you know electronic stroke digital payments it's about really trying to uh, figure out how do you get the consumer behavior shifted as fast as you can and thankfully uh, it's i mean people didn't have a choice so i i believe it's about really taking opportunities and ensuring you're kind of making those tweaks and uh, uh, you know getting people to uh, you know uh, get to use these uh, uh, the digital payments and systems is the way i would look at it and uh, uh, well everybody talked about it when uh, you know business tank there's no way, way payment systems could have kind of uh, processed uh, transactions as well however uh once the you know look at home deliveries how do you ensure you get the qr codes because uh, a lot of times you may not remember the the mobile number so how do you send the qr codes across for people to scan and make a upi payment for example so it's really about for me more than a challenge thankfully for this industry it's about have people taken cues figuring out those small white spaces or uh, gaps uh, and and bridging them to ensure people are kind of really starting to uh make those transactions and it's very visible that uh, as uh, uh, others have mentioned that we have a lot of new users of coming in so uh, i i would kind of look at it more as an opportunity sure think robita would like to ask the next question hi uh so actually taking up from where you've spoken about a lot of new consumers coming in that is something that we do keep hearing all the time we see a lot of people that we know ourselves who probably had never used digital transactions in the past and over the past few months they have really figured out how to do these things so i would like to understand you know on the consumer side we know that this is the extent to which people have uh adopted digital transactions and digital payments ecosystem on the merchant side what has you know the readiness and the sentiment been like in terms of um making the investment in adopting fintech solutions in figuring out that especially small merchants in uh, you know in terms of figuring out that they need these solutions uh i would like to throw this question to srini first and uh, to understand you know what has what kind of sentiment have you seen so uh, as i mentioned earlier um it, you know and again it's been a revelation and uh, i'm sure samir uh, could uh, 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 add on to this probably but um, you know even you go to the country side uh, everybody uh, kind of has the ability now to kind of uh, accept uh, upi based uh, transactions and that kind of is something that uh, i've seen when when you don't have a choice people would kind of start coming in as well but uh, as i've mentioned earlier too it's really about ensuring that the i mean probably what you mentioned earlier about the nano merchants not even the uh, uh, you know probably somebody who's selling pots on the road 
and uh, how do you ensure that they are able to kind of uh, you know are able to kind of pick up cash and when cash is not there how do you get the money into the bank account and so uh, it's it's pretty much explaining to them and after a while i, I believe that the need is felt uh, so as long as you're able to quickly onboard them, I think that I think would be the biggest uh, challenge. How do you quickly onboard them, uh, educate them about downloading the app uh, uh, where required and um, ensuring that they're uh, up and running is what I would say. And uh, I would actually like to invite Shilpa into the conversation now in terms of you manage, a lot, you have seen a lot of companies, you have been, you've seen the entire ecosystem in terms of the tech adoption, the level of readiness that you've seen in the ecosystem, what kind of challenges have you seen? And especially when we talk about small merchants, do you see any, any teething issues here which make it difficult for them to come on board? Or are there any requirements which probably will make it easier for them to just join the ecosystem? So, you know, when we're talking about um, sort of the ecosystem and, and the regulatory framework, um, I think there are two key elements. I mean, I like to view the, the regulatory framework as if you look at the engine that drives fintech and then, you know, what about the regulations will give you a smooth drive. If you look at the, uh, you know, on the demand side, I think the two key elements from a regulatory perspective are KYC and, and data protection. And KYC, I think, has been a battle that fintech has been, uh, you know, dealing with ever since the Supreme Court Aadhaar uh, decision which withdrew eKYC and that hugely changed the dynamic of onboard, onboarding customers. And I think now the RBI, as it's moving from a light framework to a more heavily regulated framework, they're also looking at KYC on the merchants as well as on the customer side. And I think this does impact the whole cost dynamic. And in a COVID world where we're looking at pushing digital financial product, because essentially that solves everything we're trying to solve in COVID, right? Contactless delivery of financial goods and services. So I think the cost of customer onboarding and if the KYC is pushed onto merchant onboarding as well, uh, that becomes an important piece, uh, you know, for the regulator to think about. And this is a cost that the smaller, you know, players, I think, find difficult to absorb. The RBI has, has moved, has come a long way. I mean, we do have digital KYC framework. We also have a video KYC framework. I think the next step will be to completely remove the manual element from KYC. So you rely on, you know, AI technology to onboard customers. But I think a cost of doing business is uh, is an important part that the regulator should think of also when coming up with a, with a regulation. So one query for Toby, he's already touched upon this. But I would like to ask, you know, in terms of in terms of bringing your small retailers the into the fold in helping them adjust to these new habits, you know, of contactless and maybe pushing them towards more online transactions. How have the past few months in India been like? How has the process of initiating the change been like? Absolutely. And I, and again, it's it's really a pain that the SME is facing today, right? I mean, they're losing a lot of their business. People are not shopping the same way that they have. So we recognize all the pain and pain that these small merchants are suffering in terms of getting access to capital, in terms of digitizing themselves, something that they may have not been able to do so easily in the past. 
and then also creating kind of that same experience while demand is dropping at the same time. So it's a lot to deal with. So in many ways, we start, first of all, with an education part. How do we help them out in the short term? So we've made a $33 million commitment alone to, to India, right? 250 crores to really just kind of get out there, educate the merchants, starting even little programs like how do you properly sanitize your store? And then we start to those engagements, really talking to them about like, okay, what are some methods for you to start digitizing? And that's things for, for we really pushing for things like software-based point of sale, right? I know historically card speci specifically was always reliant on a lot of hardware. So how do we push more into a software point of sale device? How do we lower the cost of KYC that we just talked about in terms of using players like from India, like Sciency, et cetera? As, as really the fintech disruptors that help us do this more seamlessly and really trying to build that ecosystem of fintech together with the banks, together with the networks to really kind of solve their problems because they're, they're really in pain um, as small merchants, right? It's not an easy life before and it's even harder now. And so really our effort is to help them along the journey. And, and that comes with many aspects, right? And that's also really helping them find an online presence in some cases, right? We see actually across many markets in the world that more small merchants are starting to find new channels, right? This has been something they may have not explored before, but how do I sell my product online? How do I get an online gateway going up and running, um, set up a little shop, maybe sell on, on, on a popular social website and platform, right? So there's many such experiences where it's about omni-channel, about enablement of their physical presence, keeping them safe and, and secure, making sure that they get access to capital through to also kind of the digitization. And that's the opportunity that we see too, because once you start digitizing some of these SMEs, we start having a little bit more information, a little bit more data that can also help us and ultimately give them the access to maybe better lending through the ecosystem as well, because of that data that they're now able to present themselves with um, to a lender in the marketplace. So we think positive, but lots of things to be done at the same time. Absolutely. I think uh, this brings me to my next query, uh, actually. the This whole SME market, the government is taking initiatives to ensure MSME have ways to kind of to revive in this in the current scenario. And yes, there have been a lot of initiatives, but I would like to understand uh, especially from Harshal and Samir here, uh, in terms of MSMEs, we know that this is the next growth market for fintech players. But in what ways do you see you, you see the ecosystem engaging with MSMEs? What are the ways that you can actually bring them into the fold? Uh, and what kind of initiatives are you looking at in this space? Maybe Harshal can take the query first. Sure. I think uh, the Indian MSME market is significantly different than the rest of the world in the sense that um, it is pretty broad and scattered, but at the same time, like they understand business really deeply. So uh, <clears throat> when you talk about an SME in India, like it, uh, in a market like US, you'll build a payment gateway, you build APIs and people will connect with it and do online selling. In India, the SME is not that tech heavy. They don't have a CTO, they don't have a tech team. They can't do a payment gateway integration themselves. Uh, so what we really are trying to do is that we have to build a lot of software solutions built on top of the uh, base infrastructure. Uh, for example, some of the things that we have seen is like a link-based payment system, a, a, a page-based payment system through which they can create a link, put it across Instagram, WhatsApp, Facebook, the places they will, where they typically sell, and just go live and start selling on day one. They don't need to have a website. They don't need to have an app. 
and i think those kind of solutions have seen an increased usage during covid where we have seen even small grocery shops who are trying to sell in on in their neighborhood uh, locality on whatsapp so they are accepting uh, orders through whatsapp they want to send a link accept payments and be done with it i think those kind of solutions uh, are needed to take smes digital in a country like india uh, because you can't uh, oh. rely on them having tech jobs to basically integrate an api integrate a, a payment gateway system and things like that to go online and and i think of course qr code is one of the basic systems that has been helping that but in the online space in particular software solutions are the ones that are driving a lot of the adoption i think in next couple of years more software solutions will emerge which will be more full stack right things uh, which can help businesses manage everything from cataloging to inventory to being able to sell online uh, into one single ecosystem where they can just plug and play uh, and start using it i think those kind of solutions will help this transition of smes in india got it samir what do you think about this so i think uh, lots of lots of uh, traction on on the merchant especially the msme side i think that's where you correctly said the entire industry is focused on uh the silver linings first so to shilpa's uh turn around kyc uh been working with a bunch of other entrepreneurs uh in the fintech industry with the government and during covid we vastly um in in collaboration with npci and the government bodies came out with a full solution on 100% digital kyc for consumers and merchants uh, it's called kyc setu it's in the sandbox actually um and has passed has passed all the legal hurdles and regulatory hurdles so it will uh, fingers crossed uh, but it's it's like like aadhar or upi it is a made in india innovation uh, that essentially obviates the need for video kyc piggybacks the combination of the ckyc framework and aadhar and could be very very cheap and i think that's very important um uh, because the regulator definitely uh, I, i think even the industry recognizes the need for stronger kyc on the merchant side and the consumer side and i was referring to fraud that's one of the things we try to get around is just knowing the customer better so we need to then have a digital answer and i think that's coming that's that's imminent hopefully pre diwali um i think that will open up the market the second thing is uh growth solution and i think the qr code is working really really well for us in the heartland uh, or in the city so that matter we have now over 12 million qr codes deployed uh, but the challenge starts as somebody was uh, mentioning when you have somebody who is selling pots they were selling pots or they were selling um, i don't know golgappa somewhere in the market in india during the lockdown that 30 40 50% of the merchant base went home or they went into hiding because of the lockdown now that they're coming back they're, they're starting from scratch and they are these are the folks that need the most hand holding because the footfalls not come back around them a lot of the retail outlets are looking to get online and sell online in the neighborhoods grocers and others uh, many are taking to whatsapp many are looking at other avenues so things we've done for example we opened up chat between our consumers and our merchants so a hyper local merchants you go on the stores platform you you tag you geo tag all your local merchants and you allow them to start sending communication and we are seeing very very interesting uh, toolkits being provided by young young engineers and millennials to the neighborhood to digitize their inventory i mean that's one of the hardest things right how do you actually provide your inventory 
in a language that your customer understands and reading. Because when we go to a shop, we suddenly break out into all of our 10,000 native languages. But when it goes goes online, everything is expected to be in English in large uh, large parts of the country. So many many localized solutions have to be have to be thought of and. I think I think that's where most of the industry is sort of focused on. All the all the tech players, all the fintech players are look, looking at that. Gopika, Gopika. Yeah, I think uh, uh, Samir's whole vision of taking uh, fintech even to the chaiwala, uh, which is which is very prominent in your advertisement. Yeah. So. so. I, I like my chai, so I have to solve for them. <laughs> Moral obligation. No, that should be that should be the way the whole industry moves forward, right, and supports the whole uh, economic recovery. This was a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast. I'm Annie Apple, and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series. Raising April. It's the most intimate sports-related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burrow, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app.